Good evening. So good to see everybody tonight. If you'll allow me before I get into the lesson, I want to just share some words of thanksgiving. Uh, thanksgiving for all of you. This has been a joyous week for me. Thank you for the hospitality, the kindness, the meals, uh, just the love that you have shared in such an outpouring way. I just can't thank you enough. This is my first time really uh, to come to South Florida. I, I will say this. I've driven through South Florida to get to the Keys to go have fun, but I've, I've never had the opportunity uh, to hang out and to worship with the saints here. I've heard of your wonderful love for the Lord and how you serve our Lord with great compassion and great zeal, but I've never had the opportunity uh, to be encouraged by you. And so this has been great. Thank you. Thank you so very, very much. And I want to say thank you, if you'll allow me, to your uh, preacher and his wife and his daughter. Uh, I know that you love Brent and April and Grace and, and their whole family very much, but uh, you have, you have wonderful servants of the Lord working with you. Can I get an amen on that one? And I know that you feel that way, and it's just been so encouraging for me to hang out in their home. It's not often that you can go and just say, hey, it felt like home. That was great. That was great. Uh, they, we stayed up way too late talking sometimes. Uh, and I had to get up and do my job for the college and do other things. Uh, but hey, it, it's kind of like being back in school. You just stay up all late, all late and just do it. Uh, and so that was fun. It, it's certainly been encouraging for me to hang out with Barry and Teresa. Uh, Barry and I, I don't think we've ever had this much time together. Uh, we've met each other in passing. I, I heard Barry uh, many years ago. He was doing some lessons on evangelism. I remember somebody shared it with me, and I went, yes, oh, yeah, I'm going to steal all that, yes. And, 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 I, uh, and I remember when I was studying with a fellow, uh, and I got into the opportunity to actually, before I even got the guy into the study, and I remembered something that Barry had done one time. Uh, it was a guy where everybody had been asking this guy for a study, asking this guy for a study, asking it. Ah, no, 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 didn't want to come. And this, I remembered a story of Barry told where he said, I'm going to give it a try. And instead of asking him for a study, he said, hey, would you just like to read the Bible? And the guy went, yeah. And I remember that story from Barry and a guy from church said, hey, let's go visit this this fella. He's not going to want to study, just so you know. We've all tried for years and years and years. He's not going to want to study, but let's just go over there and be nice. And before we left, I, I went, hey, Robert, would you mind if we just came back next week and just read the Bible with you? And Robert went, yeah, I think that'd be a great idea. And my friend's jaw just dropped, and I went, come on, Charlie. We're going to be back next week. And I called Barry. I said, you're not going to believe what happened. This is a great word. And, and then a few weeks later... Uh, you know, Robert was baptized into Christ and I and, and called Barry to share, hey, this is really cool. And so we've had those interactions and uh, we've been able to help people at times, both of us. And that. so it's just been great uh, to hang out with Ian and Teresa. And so it's just been a good week. So thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, real quick. Do you have the Heavenly Library with you? All right. Take down the book of Philippians. But let me explain to you why I say that. It is a cool phrase. I don't know. I like it. But the Bible isn't a book. It's a library of books. And when we're studying God's Word, it's important for us to understand context. And so one of the things we did back in Gainesville where I used to preach was just to reiterate 
You want to see the context. You want to get it in its history. And each book, if you will, is a standalone book in a way. But we can see how the Creator was involved with those writers, 40-plus writers over 1,500 years and weaves the story together. But we need to see it as a library, as a wonderful collection of books, all inspired by God. And so that's one of the reasons that I would always say to remind us, to remind us. Tonight we're going to get into a book. It's more of a letter. It was a letter where a preacher had been working with the congregation, helped get it going, and now he's writing a letter back. Hey, here's some things I want you to keep in mind. And, and, and many of the things he probably writes is be like if you were to write your kids. You know, my dad, when I was in college, he would send me a card. They're, they're just treasures. I still have some of them. But he would end it with the same admonition. Uh, study hard, eat your green beans, and stay out of jail. My dad had real high expectations for me. But this is a man who loves the Lord, speaking to people that he's helped bring to the Lord. And just remember these things. So it's a heavenly library with that in mind. Now, having said all that, you're going to hate this sermon. I hate to do this to you. In fact, it's one of those sermons I'm going to get about five, ten minutes into and you're going to go, can Barry just go now? We're done. We're done. Because I know this is one of those subjects that nobody likes. Why is this in the Bible? Do all things without complaining. In Philippians chapter 2, this is exactly what Paul says, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and, and, and please listen to it. Listen to what Paul is saying. Why does he tell us this? Do all things without grumbling. Now, just real quick, real quick. I, I, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I looked it up. You know what the word all means? All. <laughs> all rats. Uh, yeah, all. Well, wait, 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 wait. You don't understand my job. All. Well, wait, wait a minute, Paul. You don't understand my church. All. Oh, you don't understand. All. All means all. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I tell you what, being a Christian is not easy. Can we agree? Uh, uh, doing something that maybe others aren't willing to do just because we know that this is the righteous way. That's sometimes hard. Coming to services on a Wednesday night, racing from work, having to eat real quick before you get here, or having to do all the other chores that you're trying to get done in your life. And then it's not easy. And then the Lord throws this on us. I got to do it all without complaining. Does he not understand what the leaders in our country are doing to this land? Does he not understand all the challenges that we're having and just trying to get by? Does he not do all things without grumbling or disputing? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain, nor labor in vain. Why? Why does our Heavenly Father hate complaining? Well, maybe because our Heavenly Father knows that complaining 
hurts the complainer. Uh, the complainer is discontent with their lot in life. They're, they're unhappy with their situation. They're unhappy with what's going on around them. And, and really, if you think about it, and this is hard, this is hard. This is why I'm saying you're going to hate this sermon. When we complain, we're not really just complaining about this person or this situation. We're actually complaining, Lord, why have you done this to me? Why have you put me... Why aren't you dealing with this? Why isn't this better? Why me? And it hurts us. It hurts us. Because complaining robs us of joy. It robs us of peace. And it opens the door to bitterness. Secondly, complaining discourages other people. <laughs> if I was to use the word, okay, think of one group of people. That's all. Just murmur. Murmur. Did anybody else get tickled at that word murmur, 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 murmur? It sounds almost like the seagulls in Finding Nemo, doesn't it? Mine, 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 murmur. I mean, boy, that just fits. Murmur. You can just see the children of Israel in the dead. Murmur, 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 you but it grew. It became like an infectious disease which started with few and then it went to more and then it was the whole lot where Moses is all by himself and the complaining grew like a cancer and infected the whole. Complaining is hard to contain. Thirdly, it drains leaders. It just drains those who are doing what they can to try to make a difference or to lead us. It, it, it drains them. In, in Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they watch over your souls. They're going to give an account for you. You ever thought about that with your shepherds? One of the things that we've got to keep in mind is we don't want to make their job any harder than it is. Children, complaining discourages your parents. Brethren, it discourages your leaders. Citizens, it discourages others around you. And here's where Paul is ultimately leading with this. It discredits the gospel of Jesus Christ. It shows I don't trust my Lord's providential care for me. I believe in providence. But if you're going to believe in the trust and the care of the Lord, that means you have trust in His care when the life around you is not comfortable. And one of the things that we've been called to, and this was part of Barry's sermon the other night, is we've been called to suffer for the cause of Christ. How often have you seen churches divide and begin to complain? And it's not necessarily always about theology, but it's about attitudes. And then eventually the feuding and the division will lead to division and people wondering, why would anyone want to be a part of that? That's why our Lord hates it. 
Now, if you would, go to our text, because here's what I want us to do, okay? Here's what's very important for us to do. We need to understand why Paul is preaching this sermon in the first place, and even more importantly, why and how he preaches this sermon. I don't know. I really don't know if complaining was a massive issue in Philippi. If you read through the letter, if you read through the letter, you could go over to chapter 4 and you could find that there's a couple of women in the church that aren't getting along. There is definitely some friction there. You you can even go to the end of chapter 1 and you can certainly hear from Paul's tone that there's some people discrediting him and there's some who don't preach with the same kind of affection that he does. So you can sense that there. Uh, But I don't really know exactly why Paul would want to preach this other than it's probably good to preach to any people at any time, right? But yet he shares it to this church. He shares it to these brethren. And here's what's so important about this. These are the same brethren that are providing for him in a very generous way. I mean, you would think he would write back with a big, Thank you! You guys rock! Because he loves them so much, he goes, Thank you. Now watch out. Watch out. And so here's what I want you to do. Place yourself in Philippi. All right? You've just received a letter from Paul. It's arrived, and we're going to read it. And here's what we're going to do we're going to read the whole, not the whole letter. I wouldn't do that to you. But I would like to read most of this chapter. Okay? And listen to how Paul is building this message. Listen to what he is saying. To us. Chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. You know what Paul actually could have done? He could have just made this all very simple. All right, folks, thank you so much for your kindness. Now listen to me. Don't complain. Just don't complain. And that'd been sufficient. We'd all go, okay, he said don't complain. But did you see what he did to us? Did you see what He did to us? Did you see how He set us up? Uh, anybody here remember as a kid these commercials would come on? Sally Struthers. Anybody remember those commercials? Am I the only one? I want to show my age here. Is that what's happening right now? Remember back in the 30s? You know, you know, so, so Sally Struthers would come on and she'd be around all these kids who were malnourished and dying and said, if, if you just gave 50 cents a day, you remember this? Anybody here? And, and of course, that was back in the day where you only had a few, few channels to turn to. You know, I was the remote control in our family. We need the poor remote control. Is Phil, get up and turn it to 13. Phil, get up and turn it. You know, but anytime that was on, oh, I need to go turn it. Nope, nope, nope. We're watching this commercial. Oh, why are you doing this to me? Because I want you to see how good you got it. Your parents ever set you up like that? You're going to watch this one. Oh, but see those kids? See that? See that? Clean your plate next time. See? Look at what Paul did to us. Look at where he began all this. I want you to all have the same mind. Okay, the mind of Christ. I want you to have the mind of Christ. We have four full Gospels sharing with us the life of Jesus. All those stories... All those interactions. And not once do you ever see Jesus complaining. Think about it. He humbly takes the form of a man. And not just any man. He takes the form of a man born in an obscure village. Oh, he could have been born in Rome. I mean, if you're, you're putting together a plan of how you're going to go save the world. Well, wouldn't you? I mean, really, if you could live anywhere you wanted to live and you're coming down to live on the earth, where would you live? Would Naz- I, I grew up in Lubbock, Texas. Anybody here gone to vacation in Lubbock? <laughs> what? Oh, you're missing out, man. I used to get so offended when I was a kid growing up and somebody would come to visit and they'd go, oh, this place. Oh, it's just dirt and cotton fields. I'm like, well, quit knocking our place. This is nice. Oh, come on, man. And, and then I, I left for a few years, actually about 20, and then I flew home and as I flying in, I was going, oh, my word, this place is brown. <laughs> and it's flat? Oh, man. Nazareth. He never went outside that region. He was born to parents who were humble. You know what's interesting about all the gospel stories? 
They don't tell us much about the first 30 years. You ever wondered why that is? Because there was nothing remarkable about his first 30 years. He grew up doing what kids do. He grew up working how men work. A carpenter. You ever thought about what it would be the carpenter, the mason in the town? Jesus! Frame my house. Jesus, level my table. Jesus, I need a new yoke for the oxen. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All day long. Everybody knew it. That's all he did. He served, 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 served. And how did he do it? Not complaining. He goes into ministry and what's the first thing he has to deal with is his own people in his own synagogue wanting to kill him. Right off the bat. And then he goes and heals people. He gets criticized. He serves people. He gets criticized. He'll eventually be arrested, mocked, sped upon, beaten, whipped, and crucified. The people he's trying to save are literally killing him viciously. And as he looks at those soldiers who nailed the nails in his wrist, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. When you get to verse 12, And Paul says, work out your own salvation. He's not saying earn your salvation. We know that. We know he's not saying that. But what he is saying, live like one who's been saved like Jesus. And you know what work means? Work. Work. And so what you see here is that you have a new life with new objectives. And notice verse 13. This is so important. This is so important. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because you're allowing God to work in you. You're no longer the captain of your ship. You are allowing the Father Himself to take the helm. And He is going to work in you. And so when you get down to verse 14, He's now getting to the application. He's now getting to His big point. And so He says to us, don't be a complainer. What is a complainer? Simply by definition, it's one who's discontented with their lot in life. It's one who is a murmurer, if you have the English Standard Version, or a grumbler. It's certainly not a fruit of the Spirit, is it? Joy, peace, self-control, that's out the window. It's all the opposite. And what the word disputing there actually implies is an inward conflict, an inward reasoning. You ever caught yourself when you're complaining about something? You ever, here's how it usually starts. You'll, you'll endure something, and immediately you're like, I just can't believe this is happening to me. And I don't know that. And you start it on the inside, and it's stirring on the inside. Now, this is just so wrong. I can't believe it. What do they do this over here? And then you, and then you find that, that victim, your wife, 
And then she's all getting hired, hired up. And then she gets me. And then you take it on to the kids. And then it grows and it grows. And Satan's going, yes, works every time. Because it started inside the disputer. The one who is arguing with life. And as one commentator put it, it's the continuous critic. And the critic is... Me. Me. It's easy trap to fall into. Easy trap to fall into. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, <laughs> but I would bet you every single one of us. Anybody complain today? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anybody complain just on your way over here? <laughs> yeah. So listen to what your brother Paul is telling you. Listen to what he's saying. And listen to who he puts up as our example. So here's what we're going to do as our take home real quick. Why we refuse to complain. Well, look at the text. He preaches the sermon right here for us. Why do we refuse to complain? Because of who we are. We are children of God. Uh, the emphasis of God in this passage is really powerful. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, you find one in the form of God. You find equality with God. God is exalted. The glory of God. God works in you. Your eyes are not on God if they're on yourself in this world. And that's what leads you to complaining. So who are you? You belong to God. And notice what he says here. You're blameless. I don't feel very bl- Yes, you're blameless. In the eyes of the Father, you are blameless. He has redeemed you. And He wants you to be that innocent, harmless individual who is free from the impurities of life. And you live your life as one who is truly without blemish. And here's the deal, folks. If our Lord suffered, why shouldn't we? Now let me, let me share with you something that's a little challenging. More than likely, the people you're around the most are the source of your discontent. Can we be honest with that sometimes? It's easy. But the people we're around the most are also the people that we can influence the most. You're a child of God. Uh, notice, notice how he says it here. And notice he says, You're, you are to be the child who's different. You are to be the innocent, blameless one because this is what the world is like. Notice, Paul tells us, I know what it's like in the world. In fact, Paul says, I'll tell you what it's like. It's a twisted, perverse generation. Yep. Yep. Uh, anybody here ever caught yourself doing this? Oh, man, is it so bad. I tell you what, it's just getting worse all the time, and it's getting worse. When I was a kid, oh, my word. No, it isn't. It's always been worse. It's Sorry, you don't have the monopoly on bad. I'd like to live in the days of Noah. Noah wins. Every thought, every intent. You can't outdo Noah. You can complain. Noah can go, I can beat you. I can beat you. Have you ever caught yourself doing that when somebody complains about something bad? Oh, you think that was bad? You should hear what happened to me. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to one-up you. No one goes, I win. Notice what Paul's telling us. What's your generation? It's twisted. 
It's perverse. No surprises there. So the world doesn't need another critic. It doesn't need another complainer. It needs someone who is content. Who is secure. Because they know who they are and who they belong to. They're a child of God. And so we remember who we are and now we remember our calling. What are we to be? Lights in the world. I did, that's a powerful metaphor. What do y'all think of when you hear, be a light in the world? Anybody think of a sermon that might lead to? They would mean to? Yeah, Jesus is Sermon on the Mount, right? You are to be lights to the world. You're not to hide it under a bushel. Sounds like a good kid song. You know, hide it under a bushel. No, right? You, you know, but here's what's, here's what's interesting. It's a metaphor that Jesus has carried over from the Old Testament. Do you remember the children of Israel? How did God lead them? Well, by cloud in the day, light at night. Now, let's think about the children of Israel. Anybody ever studied the children of Israel? Y'all studied the children of Israel? Anybody here been studying the children of Israel and gone, I can't believe these people. And, and especially when they go, we'd rather go back to Egypt. Are you people nuts? You, you want to go back to slave? Whoa, you're walking around in the desert. And, you, and, and, and bread's just falling from the sky. And it's free. And it tastes like honey. And I'm a quail hunter. Anybody here like to hunt? Oh, I did. I will have to confess. I, they're knocking them out of it. I did have a quail. It was a kamikaze quail. He was flying at me so hard I couldn't get my gun up. And he just hit the barrel of my gun. <laughs> and he fell down dead. And I went, oh, did y'all see that? And my buddy goes, yeah, he looked at your face and had a heart attack. That wasn't a knocking them out it's got you you would think you would think these people but they're complaining about it oh, it's too hot it's too dry oh we'd rather go back and say and, and we're, we're all reading this story and we're going who are these people John and his gospel will describe Jesus as being everlasting water. It's actually a beautiful story. Jesus is the manna from heaven. And I know what's happening there. Here I am walking around making my way to the promised land. And I have more water than I could ever imagine. I have more food than I could ever eat. Why should I complain? What should the children of Israel have done? Well, they should have gone, I tell you what, never been out in the wilderness before. This is a neat trip. Uh, can you believe the water? It's coming out of the rock, people. Look at all oh, this. is great. What's water coming out of the rock? Oh, here, everybody, everybody, chirp it up. Hey, quail, quail. All right, we'll fry the quail. We'll grill the quail. Well, this is great. It's coming out here. And, and manna, just, oh, man, what do we call it? We should be, and we should be telling all the other nations, oh, you want some of our manna? It just falls from the sky for us. Whoa, this is so cool. Don't you wish you could be part of Oh, man, every single day my God takes care of me. 
every single day. My God takes care of me. We are the light. We are pointing the world back to God. And Isaiah 49 and in verse 6, Isaiah looks ahead to this. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Obstacles are not obstacles when you're in Christ. They're opportunities. Remember your calling. God is using us to enlighten a dark world. And we give it hope with our hope. Not complaining like everybody else. And then thirdly, going back to the text. What's the source of our strength? His promises. Holding fast to the word of life. Paul says you hold fast to it. So that I know that in the and that I may be proud that I didn't labor for you in vain. I didn't run in vain. You cling to the word of life. It's your source. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And I still cling to him today. And so I put my trust and my hope in the word of of life. I like the way Paul finishes it in verse 18. He says, you should be glad. I'm laboring for you, even as a drink offering. I'll pour myself all out for you. Be glad with me. Be glad with me. Real quick, four thoughts. Finish this up. Remember to remind yourself of who you are. Shine your calling and bind yourself. Hold fast to God's word. Every day do that. Every day. And and know this every day you get up. Something irritating is going to happen. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. I'm going to remind myself and I'm going to shine and I'm going to bind. And then you you do need to complain, but here's what you do. You take it to God. You take it to God. You ever studied the Psalms? You ever read the Psalm and go, oh my word, did David say that? Can you say that? Can you say that? Do you realize David actually tells God to send his enemies to Sheol? Can you say that in a prayer? Can you imagine somebody saying a prayer? Dear Lord, lead our enemies. Oh my word. Well, he's throwing it out there to God. And and isn't it interesting when you look at the Psalms, 
God says, bring me your sorrow, Psalms 137. Bring me your anger, Psalms 140. Psalm 69, bring me your fear. Bring me your confusion, Psalm 102. Bring me your desolation, Psalm 22. Bring me your repentance, Psalm 51. Bring me your disappointment, Psalm 74. Bring me your depression, Psalm 88. God says, I know, I know if you keep it inside, you're going to explode. Just don't do it to somebody else. Give it to me. Give it to me. I can take it. I know what's going on. I know what you're going through. Let it out. Let it out. You don't have to pray politely to God. Because He knows. Can I ask a favor of you? This is a big one. Good. How about going to fast? Will you commit yourself to a complaining fast? These thoughts all came to me back in 2020. I want to guess why? <laughs> and I committed myself. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. I told Cheryl, I am not going to complain. I am, from now on, I am not going to complain. A couple of days later, I found myself complaining about complainers. Go! Go! These people just keep complaining. I can't believe they're complaining. And I went, oh, man. Satan's so good. So I challenged myself and I challenged our family in Christ for one month. Don't complain. One family really took it serious. It was great. They put a jar out in the middle of the kitchen table and they said, anybody who complains, all right, they, they have two young teenagers. Anybody who complains has to put a 20 bucks in there. I was like, whoa, 20 bucks. Uh, yeah. And then they had a big discussion. Well, what if it's, what if it's I'm just sharing some awareness to something? Uh, I'm not complaining. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sharing it. Well, the family will decide whether it's 20 bucks. Whoa, now that's getting serious. But maybe we ought to get serious one way or another. And I tell you, if you'll really commit yourself to it, you'll see a change in your life. You'll see a change in your life. Paul wouldn't be commanding it if he thought it was easy. But he is commanding it because he knows what it can do. Commit yourself. One month. Try it. One month. Promise after a few weeks, after a few days, your family's going to enjoy it. And the people around you are going to, well, what happened to you? And then, it's really about humility. To humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And allow him to live us up. We began this series of lessons with this quote from Jesus. It's what he said to his disciples as he was making his way toward Golgotha. My peace I give to you. In this world you will have trouble. 
but you take heart. I've overcome the world. And when we can learn to live in a world that is perverse and crooked and not complain, we've allowed the Lord to truly work in us for His good pleasure. And we've overcome the world. Jesus came to save us. But he also came to use us as powerful tools in his kingdom to be lights, to be different. May he use me. May he use each and every one of you to show the world what hope, peace, and trust looks like. To more importantly, get to show the world Jesus. Thank you all so very much for your kind attention. Send it